All right, let me share out of the word of the Lord this evening. It's nothing more powerful than the word of God. You know that Jesus holds this word up, this world up by the word of his power. And so tonight I want you to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 13. Matthew 5 and verse number 13. I'll read that text in just a moment. Now when you're when you guys are needing to do a job or when you ladies are needing to do some kind of job, but I'm particularly talking uh, about a job where I would need to do something, what you would do is you would go out to your garage and you would reach into your toolbox and you would pull out a tool, a tool that you would need. Now, wouldn't it be disappointing if you went to that toolbox and that tool was broken, that tool was misplaced, or somehow that tool that you need to use had fallen into some kind of useless state and you weren't able to get the job done. That would be very, very frustrating. Well, let me tell you this. We have a God that has a plan. We have a God that has a job that he wants completed on this earth. And what he wants to do is he wants to reach into the church. Are you with me? He wants to reach into the church and he wants to find a tool to use. He does not want that tool to be broken. He does not want that tool to somehow be misplaced where it can't be used. And he doesn't want that tool to be in a place that is in a useless state. Why? Because God wants to use us and he wants us to be ready to use. Now I'm going to read that Matthew passage in a moment, but I want you just to, to hear this. I want this to settle in on us tonight as we get started. The Lord wants us to be ready to be used by him. Listen to this verse. This is just kind of introduction here. I'm going to read this text in Matthew that we're going to unpack, but 2 Timothy 2.21 says this right here. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, useful, you hear this? Useful to the master. And then the same, same book, 2 Timothy four, chapter 4, 2 Timothy 4 and 2, it says this, preach the word, be ready. Be ready when? In season and out of season. What does that mean? That means when it's favorable, when it's not favorable, you be ready to be used by the Lord. And then I'll just refer to this, Romans 1.15. Paul said, I love this, I am ready. Paul said that I'm ready to preach the gospel. So the question is, are you ready to be used tonight? If God says, and he, he, he does, by the way, have a task for you to do. He has a work for you to do in the church and without the church. Evangelism and discipleship. No one has the right to just come and hear sermons and to not put that in the practice and serving. Listen, listen to this. No one ever graduates from servanthood. That's not a class that you graduate out of. The longer we live, the more we should be zealous to serve the Lord. So if God reached into your life tonight and God says at Trinity Life Church, I have many things I want to do, many plans as we move forward. God's going to reach in and he's going to say, I, I need a vessel to do children's ministry, youth ministry, worship ministry, prayer ministry, evangelism ministry, uh, many ministry, hospitality ministry, uh, hospital ministry. I've been in the hospital lately. And that's a wonderful ministry to comfort and to care for people. It's amazing how 
That, that's, a, that's a wonderful ministry that needs to continue to develop. And I'm not the only one that needs to visit a hospital. Come on. You don't pay me to visit a hospital. Okay? You, 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 uh, you and I are all called to minister. I, I, I enjoy it because I like to be with people in those moments when we can speak life and speak hope and speak blessing. But you know what? You have that anointing. We're, we're the body. Now, note, now hear this. The body has the spirit of evangelism. The body has the spirit of comfort. It's not just, you know, there may be people that have certain ministries, but we're called to be a body. So God's going to reach in the body, and he wants to find some tools that he can use. Are they going to be misplaced? Are they going to be broken? Are they going to be somehow not in a place to be used by God? So how do we get ready to be used by the Lord? I want to I frame this passage three ways, bring it out in three ways, and that is we're going to talk about our calling, we're going to talk about our character, and then at the end, I'm going to give a little caution. All right? So Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 13. Here's what the Lord would say to his people tonight. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13. Just one little verse here, but oh, isn't it powerful? Here it is. Matthew, what did I say? 5.13. 5.13. Here it is. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor... How shall it be salted? How shall it be seasoned? It is then, notice this, if it doesn't have salt, then it's not ready to be used. It is good for what? It's good for nothing. It's good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. So I want to talk this evening and share just a few minutes about the salt of the earth and how that works in our life and how that works into what I just talked about being used by God. So let's look at the first thing, our calling, our calling. Get that in your mind, our calling. Look at verse 13 again. You are, say that with me, you are, you are, and you are, you are what? You are somebody. You are a somebody. I'm a somebody. Now you may not feel like a someone, somebody. Some people have a struggle with these things, but you are someone special. How do I know that? Because you have been, you are a chosen vessel by God. You're chosen by God as someone that's very unique to do something glorious for him. To be, listen, to be a part of his glorious work. Isn't that amazing that God has chosen you and I to be a part of his glorious work in this world? You are chosen by God. First Peter says this in 2.9, you are a chosen generation. You are a royal, pre- pe- uh, royal priesthood. You're God, and one translation says, you are God's very own special people called out of darkness into his marvelous light that you may do what? That you may show forth the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Listen, you are chosen no matter how you feel about yourself or what others, you are chosen by God to do something very special. Jesus said to his disciples, you haven't chosen me, but I've chosen you that you may bear fruit for my name. Now, I think one of the, one of the ways the enemy wars against us in this usefulness is he wars against our sense of value. He wars against our sense of importance as it relates to the work of God. He will lie to us and say, you know what? You're not that important in God's work, or if you weren't there, it wouldn't make a difference. Well, I, I totally disagree with that. And the reason I disagree with that is that we're a church body. We're the body of Christ. 
And just like if you, if you lost one of the members of your hand, you, I mean, even, even one of the members, it would be devastating to you. It would, you, would, you would, know, would you not notice the difference? And so every person is necessary in the body. So think about this. You've been chosen for a special relationship with God. In Ephesians chapter 1, from 3 to about 11, there are 3 to about verse 11, it talks there what God has done to enter into relationship with you. It talks about the forgiveness of our sins. It talks about how God chose us in eternity past. It talks about how God abounded together, uh, abounded toward us in the marvelous grace of God. So, So in God's love, you have a very special relationship with him. He's chosen you for that relationship. He's actually chosen everyone for that relationship. He's chosen you, but you also have to yield to that plan. And when we yield to that plan and we're born again, we enter into this eternal relationship with God and we have eternal life. Now, you do understand, you're not just you're not going to have eternal life. You possess eternal life right now. And the Spirit of Christ lives in you, and you're a brand new person in Jesus Christ. So you're a very special person. And then we, we look at verse 12 of that chapter. Now look at this. I won't read that. I, won't, I just paraphrase all that for time's sake, because we want to get to this text. But I do want to read this. It says that you who first trusted in Christ, that you should be to the praise of his glory. So in, in, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 11, it's telling what God's done and how we've entered this relationship with him. And then he tells us why. Why did he enter a relationship with you? Now, as glorious as the forgiveness of sins are and is, it's wonderful to know my sins are forgiven, are forgiven not by what I've done, but because of what he's done. Not by my efforts, but I've just accepted what Jesus has done. Isn't that a great plan? There's no plan like it. There's nothing like it anywhere. In any religion, nothing even compares to it. Why? Because it's grace. Just say that word, grace. God has just done a marvelous work. So why did he do that? Was it just to forgive our sins? Was it just to take us to heaven? No. Here it says that we who first trust in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. That somehow, in some way, that God has chosen you to serve him and bring glory to his name. And by serving, we do bring glory to his name. Because you're great when you serve. You're not great when you elevate yourself and become the center of everything. You're great when you humble yourself and serve someone else. And now, now hear this. Your service to Christ is always serving one, someone else. When, when you serve, you're always serving someone in the body of Christ. So he wants to use you in this way. So whatever the, you don't need to allow the, the past or however your feelings are to allow you to say that I can't be used of God or I'm not useful to God. That's wrong. Your sins are gone. He's equipped you. You're anointed by God to do something very wonderful in his service. So, so that needs to be your focus, your calling. Paul said this, for me to live is Christ. That means his complete and total focus was on his calling. So in this little text that we've drawn out this evening, the salt of the earth is this. You are. Say that again. You are. That means this. That means everyone in this room, everyone watching on the internet, everyone who will watch it, you have a calling. You have something that you've been anointed for. And, you, and I know people struggle with this. I met a gentleman years ago that, 
that I, I was at that church seven years. Wonderful move of God in that church, by the way. And, and, and seven years before when I'd come, he said, I know there's something for me to do. And he struggled with that. Seven years later, he was still saying the same thing. I know there's something out there. Well, I can tell you what, whatever your hand finds to do, do that. Don't be interested in some mysterious will of God that whatever it is way out in the future. Right now, God has a purpose, a plan, and a will for you. You are, you are, that is your calling. And Paul was completely focused on that. And you realize that's what you'll be accountable for. See, the Bible says, he that doeth the will of God will abide forever. The will of God is the most important thing in your life. What has God called you to do? What is on your heart? What is burdening your spirit? When you get down to pray, what comes to your heart? What, what, do, you, what do you move toward? Is it missions? Is it worship? Is it preaching? Is it teaching? Is it kids ministry? Is it youth ministry? Is it outreach? Is it just simply to serve and make the, the worship of God easier? Maybe it's in food. That's a great helps ministry. Maybe it's ushering like our, our brother does back here. Maybe you have a great burden for prayer, and that's a real fire in your spirit. But I know this, if you're a child of God, you are you are, you have a call of God on your life and you need to find out what that is. God will show you. He's not keeping it from you. So you are, that's your calling. Let's, let's look at this second part. And that is our character. You are what? You are the salt. You are the salt. We are the salt. That has to do with our character. So here's, here's something. If God's going to reach into our lives and he's going to pull us out and say, I have a purpose for you. If we're going to really be effective for God, we don't just need to say, well, great, I've got a calling. There has to be some quality of character in us, to, of salt, to, to make that ministry effective. So that salt, what is that? And I mentioned this the other day in, a, in another passage, but it talked about salt. And the salt is the Christ-like character that he's just spoken of. It's that it makes, it makes our witness credible when we have that saltiness about us. In other words, if we're trying to tell somebody about Jesus and we're living just like the, the ungodly people around us, there's no credibility there. There's not there. Now, now listen, I'm not talking about sinless perfection. I know we're all, but I'm saying there has to be the saltiness of the Holy Spirit in us. And that's what God's doing in us not just about forgiveness of sins. He is forming us into our Lord Jesus Christ and his character. Now, look at this passage again. So what has Jesus just been talking about in Matthew? We read verse 13. You are the salt. So but what, what has he been talking about? If you put your eyes back up in the third verse of chapter 5, Matthew, Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs are the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for... Oh, you didn't, you know, this next one, you don't feel like too much of a blessing. <laughs> I'm, we're still trying to figure that out. But it is a blessing. You're persecuted, you know whose team you're on. The devil doesn't mess with lost folks too much. 
working in them. But, but listen, it's you he wants to hinder. Blessed are, you, are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. And for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. So what's he been talking about here? He has been talking about the salty character of the Beatitudes. And listen, those Beatitudes, when a person gets saved, the Holy Spirit is working that in some measure in each of our lives. Now, some may be a little farther along in the Spirit, a little more mature, but I can tell you this. The Holy Spirit is producing this salty character in every child of God, or at least trying to. But notice this. Then in verse 10 and 12, Jesus is showing how that the child of God will influence the world. There's going to be persecution. Why? You're influencing the world. You're you're displaying the salty, godly, holy, loving, Christ-like character in the world And they don't like it because they're of a different spirit. We're in a new world now. We're in a new kingdom now, but we're living on our faith in this world, and there's persecution. See, we should should be influencing the world, not them influencing us. So let's look at this salt for a moment. What is salt? How do we see that? When Jesus says, you're the salt, how does he compare that to our lives? Let me list what salt is like. First of all, salt is is a preservative. That means this, salt wards off decay. It it wards it off. So in other words, it holds back decay. It holds back corruption. If you put salt on something, it slows down the corruption. Now listen, we live in a very corrupt world. I mean, it's, our nation has gotten to a place for it, there are parts of our nation that is completely given over to demonic spirits. And I won't get into all that tonight. That's not necessarily my message. But I'll tell you, there's whole parts of our world today that are given over and controlled by demon spirits. You say, how do you know that? Because you see the characteristics of demonism. You see that. And, and so, but we, as the child of God... We have salt in us. We, we have a sense of slowing down the decay because we're a preservative in a sense. We're, there's a certain antiseptic influence when the child of God is present or should be. If Sodom had had just 10 righteous people, God would not have destroyed that, that vile, wicked city. That's what the Lord told Abraham. If you can find just 10 or lots, if there's 10 there, God said for 10 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I won't destroy it, but I will preserve it. See, listen, the presence of the Christian is literally holding back the judgment of God in this nation. One of these days, the Lord will come and take his people to heaven. Can you imagine how dark and it will become utterly dark very quickly. I believe much like it was in the days of Noah in Genesis 6 where the, the, the evil had become so evil that continued. There was no light in the culture anymore. They were so dark, their minds were continually on evil. But it says this, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. 
Do you know that no matter how dark the culture gets, you can live victoriously for God? Because greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. So think about this. Think about that our actions preserve, listen, our families. Our actions as Christians preserve our city, can keep corruption at bay. Here's what Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34 says. Proverbs 14, in verse number 34, reads like this. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Righteousness brings blessing. Righteousness preserves a culture. There's a, there's a book called The Rage Against God. It's by uh, Hitchens is the gentleman's last name. Peter Hitchens. He's the brother of the famous atheist Christopher Hitchens. And in the book, he outlines the spiritual demise of his own nation, Britain. His own nation that, was, that, that for a thousand years, I guess, touched the whole world maybe. That there was the day when the sun never set on the British Empire and they were centered in God and great revivals took place and the Lord and His Word was in the center of the heart of the culture and the people. And, and now it has become so secular. It's more secular than the United States ever thought of being. And because of multiculturalism, it is, it's, it's a nation. And in the book he says, I don't know that it can be rescued. God can rescue it. But I can tell you that, that we need to preserve righteousness in our land. 2, two Chronicles 7.14, if my people, which are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways, then would I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. It's when we turn to God, and we need to pray every day, God, turn our nation back to you. Let there be a sweeping revival that will sweep people into the kingdom of God. So salt is a preservative. And there is a preserving influence that keeps back decay when we're living godly character, like I've read to you in the Beatitudes. Secondly, salt is not only a preservative, but salt is powerful. What salt does is salt penetrates what it touches and what it comes in contact with. Salt penetrates that. In other words, it penetrates. It influences whatever it contacts. And we're called to penetrate. We're called to have influence on others for Jesus Christ. In verse 16 of this chapter we're looking at, it says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which in heaven, which is in heaven. We're called to be, we're called to not be thermostats or thermostats and not thermometers. We're called to set the temperature, meaning this, we're called to live for God. The temperature of our lives needs to be those beatitudes. It needs to be, we need to be living righteously in our church, in our families, in wherever we are, and not just be a thermometer and just reacting to what's around us. We're not to be, uh, what does Romans say? Don't be conformed. We're not to be a thermometer just reacting to whatever, oh, what's the world doing? Let's do that. No, let's do what the Holy Spirit's doing. Let's be a church led by the Spirit of God. See, when, when we're salt, we're instruments of change. We're instruments of influence. It was Elijah on Mount Carmel that was at an absolutely, in the natural, an absolutely hopeless situation. 
I mean, there were, there were some men of God, but they were all hiding in caves. There was only one active, moving and ministering actively as a, as a prophet. You know, they were in the caves. The, seven, the Lord said, I've got 7,000. Yeah, but they're in the caves. Can't minister in a cave. You have a prayer meeting, but that's about it. But there was one salty man, and his name was Elijah. Man, I want to shake Elijah's hand. I like guys like Elijah. I like guys like Elijah. They said, okay, there's 850 to 1. And Elijah says, I like my odds. Why? Because he knew his God. He had been with God. You know, it's amazing how we're different when we've been with God. It's amazing how bold we are when we've been with God. It's amazing how fearless we are when we've been with God. And there's one salty prophet active during godless times in Israel, and his name was Elijah, and he was there at Carmel, and he prayed, and he believed God, and guess what? God turned the tide of corruption. God turned it. God can turn some things. He can do anything. Come on, he can do anything. Now, let me give you commentary on that. James gives us some commentary on Elijah, and here's what it says. It says in James 5, 16, James 5, verse 16. Listen to this. Confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. L- listen. The effective and fervent prayer of a, of a singular, of a righteous man avails much. I think the NASB says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Amen. I like that. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. That is a powerful prayer. Now, I would say this. He's not just praying, asking God what he wants. The Lord told him what to pray. See, prayer that's answered is, is in the flow of God's will. It's in his name. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Now, there again, God said, now go and pray. And he went up to the mountain. He prayed and then he saw the, the hand. Remember, he saw the hand. What do you see, servant? He said, I see the cloud the size of a man's hand. He said, that's all I need. Go. Tell Ahab, he better get up and get to Jezreel. He said, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. Come on. What are you hearing? What are you hearing? Are you hearing worldly words? Are you hearing, what the, are you hearing the Spirit of God? I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. So, Salt is instrument of change and influence, a righteous man. See, we don't win the world by being like the world. Salt is something distinctive. Salt is different. God uses our difference to declare his message. You hear that? God uses our distinctiveness to declare his glory and his majesty. We're different. We're called to be separate You're not going to hear that message in one in a thousand churches today in America. We're called to be separate. We're called to be holy. We're called to be different. The Morton Salt Company says this, the greatest problem with food-grade salt is rust, mixture. (coughs) The power of salt cannot be underestimated. And the power of the of the people of God, full of the Holy Spirit, cannot be underestimated. Andrew Murray is a salty man of God. 
He was a godly man, wrote, I think, 240 books. And you've read probably his books on prayer. He had four sons. All of them became preachers. He had four daughters. They became preachers' wives. He had 10 of his grandsons became preachers. 13 of his grandchildren became missionaries. I would say that was a salty home. I would say the influence of that prayerful man, Andrew Murray, uh, and I think he was a South African minister in the Dutch, Dutch, some kind of Dutch denomination, but he was a man of God. That was a completely different time frame. There was so much prayer going on in the church. There was so much belief in the move of the Holy Spirit and complete dependence on the Holy Spirit. It was an amazing time. And look at his life and look at what it produced. Woodrow Wilson, you'll remember that name. You teachers know who that is. One of our presidents, right? Woodrow Wilson testified that he was setting, and this is probably before he was president, maybe even before he was that well-known, he said this, and he, our president, former president, Woodrow Wilson, testified. He said, I was in a barber shop one time getting my hair cut, and a man walked in, and he said, that man, so full of God, it almost felt like we had entered a church service. As he spoke to the barbers, as he ministered to them, as he shared whatever, Christ, as he shared testimony with them. And that's what he said. He said, when that man walked out of that barber shop, as I continued to sit in the barber chair, it was almost as if we had been to a church service. And you know who that man was? That man was Dwight L. Moody. A man who touched the world with the gospel. The man who, who heard someone say, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully yielded to him. He heard someone say that, and he said, I want to be that man. And for the rest of his life, he strived to be a man completely yielded to God. That salty, powerful influence that we can have when we're living godly lives and when the Holy Spirit fills us. Salt is a preservative. Salt is powerful, but salt is also pleasant. What does it do? It gives flavor. And food without salt is bland. Food without salt is insipid. Christianity is to life what salt is to food. It gives flavor to life. It gives a pleasantness. It gives a winsomeness. The child of God can, can bring incredible encouragement for the downcast. Why? Because we have salt in us. Jesus stood up on that boat and said, be still. Peace and brought incredible comfort. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 1, uh, 2 Corinthians 1 3, and 4. He says, the, the, the God, talks about the God of comfort and said, he comforts us with the comfort with wherewith we were comforted. We comfort you because we've been comforted. What's well, that salty, pleasant influence? You know, it's amazing how I think about the prodigal son and people like the prodigal son. As long as they have money in their pocket, they're the life of the party. But I remember a pastor testifying 
and I won't say his name, for it's a famous pastor in our nation on the West Coast. He, uh, he said he preached a sermon on what the Bible said about, you know, immorality, homosexuality, you know, adultery, whatever. And he said he received a call from a, a man in the hospital. He said, I was uh, homosexual, but I was once a Christian. And he said, uh, would you please come and pray for me? I have AIDS. I'm dying. And you know what? He said he went up there to that hospital and, and none of that guy's friends that lived that lifestyle, none of those people, none of those people came and ministered to him. They were done with him. But that minister went in there and led him back to Christ. And not very long later, that, that man died. And I believe that man will be in heaven. His body might have died of AIDS, but he reached out to the grace of God I don't believe God's grace is hard to receive. I believe that he is as close as the mention of his name. But salt is pleasant. And there's a sense of pleasantness when, when, when we can, by the Spirit of God, bring comfort and bring a word in season like apples of gold and pitchers of silver. And we can bring peace in the midst of the storm because we have peace. We can bring strength to others. Salt is something pleasant. You sprinkle it on food. It makes it better. You sprinkle Christians anywhere. It makes the place better. You sprinkle Christians in, a jo- in an office building with Christians that have the Holy Spirit. That office is better. It has more peace, more orderliness, more grace, more productivity. Why? Salt is pleasant. It's pleasant. It's the grace of God flowing through the child of God. You as employees should be the most pleasant thing in your office. The child of God shouldn't be causing trouble, shouldn't be coming in late all the time and always the gossip at the water cooler and always in the conflicts. No, the child of God is pleasant because we're salt. Salt makes things better. And then, almost finished, then salt promotes thirst. Salt promotes thirst. Our lives in the Lord should create a thirst for those whose hearts have not yet met Christ but are searching. There ought to be something in us that says, you know, you have such peace about you. You know, my marriage is all messed up, but your marriage is such, it seems like you, you guys just don't ever have any trouble. Well, no, it's not that we don't have trouble. We have Jesus in the middle of it all. Come on, somebody say amen. You, you, you seem to have a joy about you. And you can say, well, it hasn't always been that way, but let me tell you my testimony. Wow, because it creates a thirst. All men shall know that you're my disciples because you love one another. All men shall know. There's something they should know about that. And then I'll close with this. This last one. Salt gives itself. Now think about this. When salt is used... It loses itself. It makes a contribution to our food, and then it's gone. In the chemical processes, it dissipates, and it vanishes. Are we willing to give ourselves? 
when Paul in the second chapter of Philippians, he says, I have no one like Timothy who loves you like I love you. And then he talked about Epaphroditus. He says, basically, there's very few like this who've given themselves so much of the work of God that he almost died. He almost died in serving the Lord. And that's how salt is. And then I close with this. There's a little caution here in verse 13. Look at it again. If you'd put it up on the screen there, and then I want to pray for you. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its flavor, here's a caution. I've talked about your calling. You are. I've talked about your character. You are the salt. But here's a caution. It becomes, it loses its flavor. And really, that's not quite right. I mean, it's right, but, but, but how it loses its flavor, it's not like it loses its flavor. It's that it becomes so diluted with other things that it loses its effectiveness. And that's a caution. So how would we, how do we lose our taste through disobedience? Yep. Apathy, you know, neglect distracted becoming so distracted that we're we're just not doing what the lord wants us to do i don't want to lose that flavor because why we have a calling in our lives i want you to stand i want to pray for you pray for us really let's just pray peyton if you would just play or someone just play right there and i just what i want to do is just take a moment here and i think we just need to ask the lord how he wants us to apply this in our lives here you know because we're the we're the salt we're the salt we have a call of god we have we have a call that the what the lord wants us to do in our lives and we just need to apply this you know as more as much as pray about it we just need to apply it to our lives and become what he desires us to become let me pray father we're so grateful this evening grateful for your love your mercy and your grace we are the salt. We are the salt because you put your life in us. We are the salt because your Holy Spirit wants to manifest salty, Christ-like influence around us. And I pray that. I pray that we become more salty. Just pray that for yourself. Just put your hand over your heart. Lord, make me a more salty Christian. Let me have more of your grace in me. Let your life and your grace flow in us. Let us be like the Antioch church where, where Barnabas went there and it said that he saw the grace of God. In other words, he saw the influence of the Holy Spirit among them. And Lord, my prayer is that we would become salty, more salty. We can't do it on our own if we tried a thousand years, a million years. But Lord, your word says that you work in us to will and to do your good pleasure. So Lord, work in each of our lives. More of your grace, more of your love, more of your kindness, more of your ministry through us. Oh, we thank you today. And Lord, thank you for this service tonight. Thank you for hearing our prayers for healing and for comfort. And for this, we're so grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.